I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, everyone. You are back with the Telegraph Rugby podcast ahead of a spicy weekend of fixtures featuring the Calcutta Cup. Wales heading to Dublin and France hosting Italy, not in Paris, but in Lille. I'm Ben Coles, joined as ever by the illustrious Charlie Morgan. Hi, Charlie. That's very kind. And the captivating Charles Richardson. Oh, my word. Hello, hello, hello. Hi. Uh, Charles, I've chiseled out um, five minutes to start just to talk about your your view from the Ealing press box where you were on Sunday. So tell us everything about it. Really not good. Um, it, was a, it was a good game and... Uh, a, a, a th- uh, yeah, a bit of a thriller in the end, and it was a, it was a decent spectacle, and I'm um, sort of um, very Im- I'm very impressed with what Ealing are building, but they need I think more help to improve their infrastructure. I don't think the stadium is quite ready for Premiership uh, the Premiership yet, and that's irrespective of my of my view, which was not amazing we were on the 22 meter line on the press and, and we weren't particularly high up and there was a big bar in front of my eyes um so yeah it, they they have a very good squad and they really did cause Leicester problems yesterday in the premiership rugby cup semi-final but i think they just need a bit more help and i think it you know a day like yesterday might be the the wake-up call to the rfu and other executives in the country that really they are able to compete on the field because they lost narrowly to one of the premiership heavyweights um but they need support off it to be clear a metal bar not a, a drinks bar in, in front of you unfortunately shame because actually that, that real shame that made your experience more interesting um i was at the other premiership rugby cup semi-final which was which was fine yeah the zach mercer show yeah for 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 about 45 50 minutes um, and he was he was great and and Exeter's tackling was was very much the opposite of of great it was a it was such a weird kind of game I didn't know how much to take to take out of it like it was a you know a slightly subdued crowd and lots of youngsters and lots of players who are going to be involved for England Day this this Sunday against Portugal and in fact Rob Baxter afterwards said that actually all the players who were who were actually selected for England Day didn't actually play that great Whereas all the players who were originally in the wider England Day squad and, and got trimmed, whose, whose names we we don't know, actually played really well. Mm. So it was it was a bit of an odd, an odd occasion. You got across to Leicester in the Premiership Rugby Cup final on the fifteenth of March, I believe. Yeah, the, the weekend of the now. final round of Six Nations matches. So just before, oh yeah, so the night before Super, Super Saturday. Saturday. So yeah, and Mercer, his CVs according to French press has been doing the rounds with top 14 clubs this morning. So, so I saw that and, and I'm curious because uh, he signed quite a long deal didn't he to come back mm. to Gloucester I think we believed and obviously he's only in the middle of his first season so so if you are a, I think I saw Toulon and, and Montpellier were the interested clubs you're going to have to pay quite a, a wedge to get him out of his, his yeah. contract. Yeah. He, yeah. He, he's certainly uh, look, look, he was very impressive for Gloucester 
That's the Premiership Rugby Cup. Our attention turns back towards the Six Nations with haste. So let's um, talk a bit about Charlie. You've spoken to Ben White, the Scotland scrum half. He's our guest this week. How did you? How did you find that? Well, I, th- I felt I felt guilty for not going to a Premiership Cup fixture. For As a start, you should. But, um, yeah. No, but he was fantastic. It was. I worked it out. The, the previous time I'd spoken to him was when he was, I think, 18, and he was at the time probably still is the the youngest player ever to play for Leicester Tigers. So the sort of this guy's up and coming. He's going to play for England age groups. And I remember him being quite sort of um, fairly quiet and fairly understated about what he'd achieved so far, as you'd expect from someone to come through the Tigers Academy. To be honest. But it was great. I think I, without you know, getting too, without bigging this interview up too much, I think if you don't know that much about Ben White and you listen to him, you will not help but want him to do well for the rest of his career. He was he was really, um, really honest and open, but also just really exuded a kind of satisfaction about where he is at the minute, while knowing that. Um, he's got a hell of a long way to go a lot more than he wants to achieve in his career and the fact that he said a few times I'm not taking this for granted I'm absolutely loving this opportunity I've got in Test Rugby and loving being part of this Scotland environment which seems really healthy really energetic um, they, they'll be, they, we spoke a little bit about not them not getting over the line to go two from two and setting up the Calcutta Cup that way but yeah, he's he scored in his first two games against England and going, looking to go three from three. I was going to say, it goes without saying, he's been playing very, very well for Scotland and he's going to be a key figure Saturday's game at Murrayfield. Let's, let's not waste any more time. Let's get into it. So speaking about Ben White, he's obviously one, one scrum half involved, but one scrum half won't be involved, Charles, and they call that a segue, is Alex <laughs> Mitchell. What's happened? Why isn't Alex Mitchell going to be playing? Yeah, limped off the open training session with a knee injury on Friday uh, in, in front of, ten, was it 10,000? It was, yeah. Let's, 10, let's, were there? Shall, shall we bring this up? Yes. I was at this open training I, session. I didn't necessarily want live, to go down it. And but. as a journalist, you live in fear of missing the line. And well, I, was, I was, in my defence, I was allowed to watch for 20 minutes. And I don't think it's happened then. But it was the other side of the pitch. If it did happen, I missed it. And uh, when we put up the piece from the open training session, we had a couple of um, very uh, eagle-eyed readers who were there who said, I hope Alex Mitchell's okay. And I panicked and thought, oh, well. Uh, it's a real shame that we didn't have a live feed to you and we could have had our very own cami. I thought we were bringing a sub on, Jeff. <laughs> it was, that was, that's exactly what it, that's what it was like at Witten's train station where I was filing. Um, where I'd filed and then saw the, uh, yeah, apparently tackled from, we've got a bit more info on it this morning tackled um from behind after presumably after making a break during the conditioned games that they were playing um isn't as bad as worst case scenario uh a grade two strain of his acl rather than a uh, pop or a tear um so he'll be back for saints um end of season for saints minimum layoff six weeks maximum 12 weeks um but that's obviously going to come so his tournament's done that- his tournament's done is the top line yeah that's a real shame, given how, you know, the potential for him to sort of bed in with that side a bit more. Apologies to him as well, because it's the media curse, because we spoke to him on spoke to him on Wednesday about how well things were going, and then inevitably picked up a real injury. So what does that mean, Charles, in terms of selection if Mitchell's out? Who are we going to see? Who's going to start at Murrayfield? I mean, it has to be Danny Kerr, doesn't it? Just because he's been involved in around the match day mm. 23 under Steve Borthwick just for so long now since since last year and obviously he played that finishing role in the in the World Cup and has been at the start of the Six Nations so I would be very very 
surprised if both went through caution to the wind and picked Ben Spencer to start. You'd expect Spencer to be on the bench, but stranger things have happened. You know, he's not featured yet. It's, it seems like it's going to be a straight shootout between Harry Randall of Bristol and Ben Spencer of Bath for that for that bench spot. But ben Spencer, as we've always said, has been a, a sort of archetypal Borthwick number nine. And I found his omission um, last year quite bizarre. Then he was brought back in for this Six Nations. And who knows? I mean, he does play a Borthwick style of rugby. His skills, his fundamental skills are very good. He's got a very good kicking game. Um, he could could come into the picture to start at Murrayfield but I'd be very very surprised so just to just to kind of touch back on that um yeah put me in cold sweats and touch back on that open training session Mitchell and Kerr were um doing a lot of the kind of the structure stuff with with nines around sort of around the breakdown um so it seemed like there was almost daylight between those two and Spencer as far as pecking order Spencer has been traveling to the games as a traveling reserve because obviously you'd need you'd want three um without the kind of constraints that England have with premiership with releasing players for the premiership action at the minute you'd need a third to come off just in case the worst happens so Spencer's been doing that I don't. I th- I wonder whether if this had happened before the Italy game, Spencer would be starting. It's mm. just that we've had this time, and you just think going to Murrayfield for a Calcutta Cup game that that experience of care we know both how much Borthwick values experience. But then at the same time, care is seemingly so much better suited to this finishing in the mm. commas mm. role. And if you watch him when he's come on in those games, he's he's been um, really proactive in defence. He's been pushing out in that thirteen channel and maybe it's that he might have been better suited to doing that from the start against Scotland yeah. anyway. So we'll see. It's going to be really interesting. But, you know, you'd you'd hope that a coach would say, look, if a player is involved in, in our squad, then we believe them good enough to start. That would be the that would be the argument for Spencer jumping the pecking order, as actually Alex Mitchell did during the World Cup, right? Went from fourth choice to first choice. Yeah, yeah. and when Borthwick recalled care, he did also mention about how much his sort of tactical kicking he thought had improved and his sort of control and game management from the base alongside Marcus Smith. I think he cited um, Harlequins at Welford Road at the end of last yeah. season as a, as a good example of that. I think they won. Leicester had already qualified for the playoffs and Harlequins won at Welford Road. And I think he cited that game as just them two just controlling things really nicely. So I don't think there'll be too many worries from, from Borthwick's camp about about that but I, I do agree uh, that you know I think if this had happened pre-Italy then Spencer might have been given the reins with care continuing in that role off the bench but now there's a bit of a bit of a spanner in the works yeah it, there's better inju- injury news in other positions because England have Luke Cowan Dickey back in the fold but but more interestingly and and sound sound the klaxon it's midfield selection debate time um I don't believe it you've got both Manitoulagi and Ollie Lawrence back and available. Ollie Lawrence was, was quite interesting because he, when he was listed in the squad for last week's fallow week training sessions, he was he was listed as a rehabbing player, but but Charlie on Friday it sounds like he was tearing in and mixing it up as much as everybody. So this isn't a shock that he's available, but it's a, a wondrous rehabilitation did process. You, did you see that bit? I was going to say, at least one thing that I saw was Ollie Lawrence, Ollie Lawrence looking very involved and very mobile. Um more mobile it has to be said than Manu Tulagi. Maybe that's to be expected because Manu Tulagi hasn't played and since around Christmas was when. Just he, to, to clarify, so Tulagi was a groin, groin, yeah, and Lawrence was a hip, a hip issue, I hip think, issue. Okay. and that happened in Toulouse, right? 
so that was just on the verge of the Six Nations, and it was it was kind of cruel timing on on that front. Um, yeah, I I just I think for me, I've seen it seen it mooted that those two could start together. I'd be very very surprised if that happened, if if only just because they're both recent returnees from injury and also you'd have to really think about who is at fullback you probably need to get more distribution into your back line somewhere I think Henry Slade has been in a quite understated way quite important to how England have defended Mm. um, translating that sort of Exeter aggressive system um, and being really proactive with his line speed there he's also come into first receiver quite a lot from from strike moves and I think that's significant too Um, so yeah I could see um, Henry Slade has played with both of them a fair bit, actually, but he's and he's shown quite nice chemistry with both of them. I think um, that Slade Lawrence um, partnership, I would, I would that would that would be what I'd predict. And then Manu as bench option potentially to break the game up. It, it's interesting, isn't it? How they kind of who they're going to go for? Charles, which way are you leaning? If, if you were bringing one of the two, but I mean, and and also, I mean, got to mention Fraser Dingwall, like you know. Are we just assuming mm. that that's him out the out the team and, and not yeah. in the mix because they're back? Yeah, I think I think this could could spell the end of uh, of Dingwall. I'd bring Lawrence back. I think for I'm, now, not for now, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 not forever. Hopefully, and it, and it, you know that's to take nothing away from him um, in those first two games where he was nothing but sort of dependable and solid, bar that one sort of quite glaring missed tackle at the end of the Italy game. But um, I, th- I think they do need more oomph, and I think that. Lawrence is the man to provide that. Yeah, it's, but it's going to be strange. Wouldn't like Lawrence necessarily playing twelve, but I don't think it really matters so much. Maybe maybe Lawrence could play twelve defensively, keep Slade at thirteen where he's been running that blitz, and then in attack. I mean, they can just switch around. Really, it doesn't really matter. They don't sort of numbers on the backs in the midfield doesn't make as much difference anymore. But yeah, if they to bring back to your point to bring back both Lawrence and Tuolangi would presumably have to have Furbank at 15 which would therefore be three yes. four changes to the back line with Mitchell a mad stat from Kevin Miller at, at Top of the Moon GW on uh, Twitter um, X now it's known as um, Manu Tulagi has never played against Scotland at Murrayfield that's mad Give it, I mean Wild. I mean, obviously I know he's been you know he's had his, his injuries and his time away from the side but yeah that is quite quite extraordinary that he hasn't that he's never done that before um Face them at Twickenham loads, obviously. Uh, in terms of anything once. else, oh yeah, go on. He's, he's, he's faced them once at Twickenham. Once at Twickenham, yeah. yeah. So he's only was... ever played them once. No, he played against them in the 2011 World Cup. Oh, okay. This is all yeah. in one so, tweet from Kevin Miller. Okay. Up okay, so he's played them twice. That's it. What a yeah. niche selection of, of matches. So yeah. the, the 2011 World Cup and once at Twickenham. Um, anything else on the open training session that that you kind of you enjoyed or, or learned? Um, I thought it was really good do. I thought they they put the RFU deserve a lot of credit for for doing that, and, and I think importantly they're doing another one in York um, on the next fellow weekend. Um, if they're not going to move games around, I think that's quite important because there I saw fans from uh, Basingstoke, from Newcastle at this one at Twickenham. I mean, going by what they were wearing, um, but it was so that was that was really good. I think really important, tangible way of of um, engaging supporters. Um, really, I think it's just really beneficial for us, isn't it, to see what the work that goes into those training sessions. And um, I wrote that your trainee teachers will um, moan and groan about lesson planning and all that they have to do, especially while they're kind of learning that learning that um, profession. 
um, planning is absolutely key for coaches and they put in so much time to that and that was really obvious in everything not only just because of how everything is laid out before you see this training session but also um, because of how quickly things move how quickly players move in and move out of the designated teams um, what was really obvious was um, how much time they're still hammering this blitz defence they really want to get this I was going to say there are a lot of photos of Felix Jones kind of addressing huddles and stuff was yeah, that what they, you saw they want to get that nailed down clearly The just everything from how um, the outside outside backs um, came away to just run to, to run shuttles which were kind of instigated by Felix Jones passing a ball obviously the obvious aim was there just to, to get in Scotland's faces and fill that 13 channel um, I would expect that to happen a lot at Murrayfield um, and then also when they were playing the collective games, they were, they were really pressing home nine speed. Carl uh, Dixon was refereeing. There were a couple of interceptions that I saw. Um, Chandler coming in south picked off Finn Smith, and then Max Ajomo got one later on. So they're really, really pushing players to get off the line. That was just really, really obvious from what we were able to see. I, I can't remember if it, if we said it in, internally. It, it, do you wonder? Uh, question for both of you, Charles. Maybe you first. Uh, do you wonder if they're just looking at this Six Nations and thinking? let's sort the defence in this tournament and then the attack will come, I don't know, summer tour, or the autumn, is in very much taking a long-term view. Now, that might be giving them too much credit from what we've seen in attack. But, but you know, it is the start of a new cycle. I, I just wondered if maybe the priority is just our defence for now and everything else is based on what we've seen from training sessions and, and you know, from last Friday as well. Perhaps, certainly. I mean, there has definitely been a bit of a reset, hasn't there? And, and, and certainly patience is going to be key. All I would say is that that has been the message um, emanating from the England camp since Steve Borthwick took over was that, you know, the attack's going to take time to bed in. It's going to take time to bed in. It's going to take time to bed in. Well, at some point, it's going to need to bed in. And they're going to New Zealand um, this summer where they're going to have to play some rugby. Um, and it could do with it could do with clicking maybe before then especially given that they've got Ireland and France back to back in the Six Nations you know that they're two good real tough tests to to come out and 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 show what they've been developing and and what the sort of what flourishes and and sort of cherries on the cake they've been adding and and also just on the defense I mean are we gonna have to talk about the sort of pack a, a little bit George Martin do we feel he's gonna come in with with his sort of defensive strengths I mean mm. I can see him being parachuted straight in, um, but then who goes? You decide. Well, well, does does Roots, a bit like the talk about Dingwall in in midfield, is Roots actually the unfortunate person who, despite not doing an awful lot wrong, who's played the match against Italy, suddenly misses out because other players are available? I mean, like you say, the idea of of Chess and Martin Otoje or Otoje... Chess and Martin, depending how you want to do it, four to six seems quite appealing. Mm. Uh, would you move? Would you move Roots to seven? No, I wouldn't. I'd, I so the, for a piece this week, I've looked at or Roots um, to eight and L to seven, maybe. For a for a piece this week, I've looked at. Um, so Scotland played South Africa at the World Cup, didn't they? With Felix Jones part of South Africa's uh, coaching team, they restricted Scotland to three points, which I think Finn Russell in t- something like two hundred and forty starts. In his professional career, there's only three times that he's been restricted to that few that few points, which I found remarkable. Then watching that game back, um, 
South Africa got a little bit lucky. The Jesse Creel high shot on um, Jack Dempsey, nothing came of that. But that was just such a good, sharp, strategic performance. They're, they targeted um, line speed at 10 and then at 13. And then what that did was funnel players back towards um, towards kind of in and around the, ruck, the interior of the ruck where they've obviously got those big men. I think that England will take a lot from that performance. And I think that they're how they set up four to six will be a big part of that. They could go with um, Chess and Martin Otoji um, in whatever order at four to six. What they have with Roots is a guy who can look, jump in the lineup. So they can, it's not like, you know, it's not like they are, um, it's not like they have to either go with a, with a, with a quicker back rower and then a hybrid. Um, so Roots is that in between. So they could still kind of implement that sort of game plan. But I think with those three kind of big, um, big guys there at lock sort of lock hybrids I think that gives them quite a lot this probably contradicts the idea of, of having three great jumpers or four great jumpers but, but do we expect them to basically nick France's kicking game strategy from Murrayfield and kick, kick everything long and keep everything on the field because to negate Scotland's counter-attacking threats because it worked, worked well for France and Scotland didn't seem to have much of an answer can rugby as a concept cope with another no. 80 minutes of that I'm not saying I want it but I can see how it would be incredibly effective it's going to be a ton of kicking Andrew Brace refereeing um, I would say that Scotland kicking a lot as well most of the championship aren't they top three two, uh, Finn Russell's top four kicking metres by absolutely miles and number three is Ben White so they're kicking a lot through those guys They the Ben White try that they scored um, against France came from a recovered box kick so I think Scotland are going to kick a lot to compete and then play off the back of that maybe um, and maybe that tries to that nullifies how England sets up and impart pressure in defence um, either way there's going to be a lot of kicking men yeah, <laughs> yeah. You've, you've sold me you've sold me on kicking I, I feel like Scotland are very deservedly favourites for this not just based on recent matches but also their their first 50 minutes against Wales and France I think have been very good, very promising. I don't think either of you are going to argue that Scotland are favourites. No, I, I wouldn't. I'd probably go fifty-fifty. In fairness, mm. no, I, I think I do think fifty-fifty. I think um, Scotland have looked fallible, um, and England are coming in off off the back of two wins, and we know it in tight matches in the Six Nations that momentum does play a part and the ability to close out matches and just to have those wins in in your back can do a lot for confidence and I think obviously then Scotland have the home advantage and the fact that England's record against them over the past however many years seven or eight years has been pretty average worse than average um so I'd, I would go 50-50 but that's that's even better I think I think that's even better I think it's really really tantalizingly poised this weekend yeah, I think it's so close. With another thing I'd throw in there, I'd first of all start by saying how well balanced Scotland are and settled now. And then we spoke, we've spoken in the in the past few weeks, haven't we, about how they've had quite a nice transition between World Cup cycles, given the age profile of their squad, um, given it, they they sit, they have, they are equipped to go from strength to strength. Um, I just the just the factor that Steve Borthwick has a couple of weeks lead in to this game. We know how much he likes kind of zeroing on an opponent and we all we hear about Felix Jones is that he's fantastic at that, really getting into the nitty gritty and analysing opponents and, and figuring out game plans. That makes me think it's gonna be closer from the point of having Scotland favourites. So yeah. 
I think it would have it would be the biggest win of Borthwick's tenure, right? If it maybe if you take out that first that first Argentina game in the World Cup, given with the fourteen, the, with the 14, but yeah. only maybe pre-game. Um, I, I think England are going to have to be very, very good, but I think they have the coaching team to really put in a game plan that will get them close. Having said that, I still would back Scotland just to nick it. I think. I think. I think. Also, what we have to remember is we've we've blown a lot of um, blown a lot of wind into into Scotland's sails, and rightly so. You know, they've got this golden generation, and yet a loss at Murrayfield on Saturday, and they could be looking at fourth. I mean, realistically, it will be a fourth place. It could be. It could be better than fourth. Mm. But so for all of for all of the the sort of the success that they've had um, in terms of developing and, and improving this with this group of players and 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 you know really rattling the cages of some of the best teams in the world, a loss on Saturday the pressure is on them because a loss on Saturday and they could be looking at a fourth place finish. Yeah, yeah. I would like to see an exceptionally annoyed Scotland based on the aftermath of the France game come out and actually deliver a bit of a statement and kind of blow England away as much as they can and then cling on because that's the problem we've seen it we've seen it in patches against France they didn't score enough points against Wales they let them back in maybe maybe this is the time third time around where actually they get the job done um, with England if, if they win this and they're three out of three are we verging on a Wales 2021 expletive house slam which didn't quite come off where they well, well, where, where they just seemed to you know by hook or by crook, end up in title contention and, and then winning the lot. I, I mean, you can't win the lottery if you don't buy a ticket. Is all I would say. You know, <laughs> I have been thinking about that. The um, yeah, that 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 campaign for Wales in relation <laughs> don't, to how don't England, say the word no, no, how, <laughs> and how they um, they've muddled through those first two games, and that's what people keep saying, right? Isn't it those first two weeks that can be horrible, can be really really ugly, but if you're still in the still in the um, in the mix for it, and if you get through with wins, then you can expand from there. England are ha- going to have to find another level because these next three games, Scotland, Ireland, France, are, are going to go up another level. They're still a team that are without the leadership of Owen Farrell and Courtney Laws, and we're talking about that less, but that is still, you know, does that rear its head and become more of an issue the bigger the game? We'll see. Mm. So Brian Moore wrote that he'd bring back the, the older statesman. Yes. This morning on, on on the Telegraph website, what what do we think about props? And I th- uh, would would you? St- I think I'd probably start Genj and Cole together. Uh, I hadn't. Well, yeah, yeah, potentially. I'd, I'd like maybe a start for Genj. I'm, I'm trying to think back to to how Scotland scrum has fared. They had that horror scrum on the on the edge of half time where Sirabai got on top of Ferguson and, and all Scotland's momentum was sucked away because they they didn't kick points and they wanted more. So it, there's a chance there that. Do you start with your, start, your strongest scrummagers first? I don't know, Charlie. That's difficult, isn't it? I think, do we overstate just, ha- just the, the lack of mobility that Marla and Cole have? I, maybe maybe Marla. I think Marla could still get around the pitch. Yeah. I, I, I just keep thinking about the end of the game at Twickenham last year when the kind of um, the kicking battle disintegrated, didn't it? Because England started kicking too long. They were looking a bit weary and Scotland started picking them off in counter and... Cole looked really vulnerable in that game. I think the weather is meant to be a little bit drizzly, so potentially making no. making uh, it more difficult to go from deeper. So maybe that maybe that plays into it as well. I'm really not sure. England England are gonna have to not um, bleed scrum penalties, and if they're even slightly off there, Scotland have improved so much that they um, with Schumann and Ferguson that. They're they're going to be able to cause problems there, so that's a, that's certainly a uh, a consideration. I'll have to 
they'll have to take on board. It's going to be fun. It's going to be tight. Very much looking forward to it. And we've got a bit of perspective from the Scottish camp right now. As Charlie spoke to Ben White. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Welcome to the Telegraph Rugby Podcast. Thanks so much for your time. No, thank you for having me. Now, I used to used to feel a bit sorry for players who were kind of shuttling back and forth from overseas clubs to Six Nations camps, but you put on a, a very nice coastal snap on your Instagram story of what Toulon looked like, and I didn't feel particularly sorry for you. It looks it's like you're enjoying life down there. No, it, it definitely makes it a little bit easier. I mean... One thing that you don't see is uh, the added travel, uh, which is which is tedious. But once you get here, um, no, obviously it's it's nice to be here, and obviously being where we are in the world, it's it does make it a little bit easier when you you know you post training recoveries in the sea. So <laughs> it's nice. You take me back to your first contact with with Gregor, please. So that would have been um, head of the Six Nations a couple of years ago. I think three years. Three years prior to that, you'd played for England in the Barbarians fixture with guys who are Marcus Smith, Alex Alex Mitchell, Joe Marchant. Um, but then you, all of a sudden you're, you're in the Scotland mix. Can you tell me about how that how that's come about? Yeah, so um, it was in my first year at London Irish, um, and yeah, just before it was just it was actually when the autumns were on. Um, I remember because I was watching I watched Scotland. I think it might have been Scotland South Africa uh, that weekend. Just I just like watching rugby. I watch most matches. I think people who know me probably have a bit of a noise like that. But um, no, I was just watching the matches and stuff. And um, yeah, I got a message from um, a guy called Gavon, who's like the head analyst and things in Scotland. And um, he messaged and said that they were watching me and that they were interested in things. And then that, you know, if things pursue sort of Gregor would want to have a call and things, which was obviously, you know, really exciting for me, for an international coach to say that they're, they're interested in speaking to you obviously you know you yeah it's it's uh it's really cool so um and then after that um I had a call with Gregor um you know he he spoke a little bit about um about himself and the team and what what his vision was and then also just around you know myself how he thought I was playing what he thought I did well what he thought I could do better um and yeah I think we just I just got on I just liked the way that he spoke and the way that he 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 talked about the game was you know was really was really good to me and and then for the next you know couple of weeks um, he'd send me clips from games he'd send me things that had done well things that he'd want me to work on and just would you know text me on WhatsApp with with clips of my games and stuff and I was like wow this is 
you know, this is brilliant. Like he's, you know, obviously clearly watching every, you know, every minute of my match and he sends me clips and like these three phases were good, but here you, you waited at this rock. Why did you wait there? What are you thinking? What are you seeing? You know, and just actually the level of coaching in terms of developing me as an individual was, was brilliant. And that was something that, um, you know, I was probably taking a bit, bit of back, but I was like, oh my God, I need to be really good at every phase here. He's watching like every pass, every kick, every movement off the ball. So, um, no, and that was, yeah, sort of where the, where the contact, uh, sort of contact started. And then after a couple of weeks of that, before the squad announcement, um, yeah, he called me one evening and said that he, if, yeah, if I wanted to, I would, um, I would be in the Six Nations squad and I didn't even bat an island. I was just like, yeah, I'm in hundred percent. Um, yeah, I'm, I'll be there. Um, yeah. And it was, it was amazing to be honest. The, the, certainly, Scotland setup has got really a really good reputation for doing their due diligence on players, as, you, as you've just um, mentioned there. As far as your heritage, they knew that you qualified clearly as well, right? Yeah. So when I was fifteen, sixteen, I, I actually did the Scottish Exiles programs, maybe fourteen, fifteen, sixteen. So there was a guy called uh, Rob Riley who was who head of the Exiles. Scottish Exiles program, um, and I was a part of that from young age. You know, when I wasn't, this was before I was sort of in. So at sixteen, in uh, at the time at Leicester's academy, you'd go full time and move to Leicester, and then you were for your basically low sixth and upper sixth or college, you'd you'd move to Leicester. Um, and for me, before that, you know, my dad used to take me up to Sheffield, uh, Sheffield to Mount St Mary's, I think it was. Um, and I used to go and do camps up there and it was brilliant. That was like my first sort of experience of like a, a, a camp as such, you know, you go for three nights up in Mount St. Mary's, you'd go train, eat, sleep together as a, you know, a little kind of group and it was great and I loved it. Um, and that's probably where I guess obviously where, you know, I, I always knew that I could play from Scotland from, through my grandparents and stuff. And it was always something that I had in, in the, you know, in my head that I'd like to do one day. And, um, yeah, so I guess they always knew that I had Scottish, um, heritage. And like you say, they obviously have people who, who, whose job it is to, you know, find out, you know, your Scottish heritage stuff all over the world and things. And yeah, you know, it's brilliant, um, to be a part of. Magic. After, how would you assess two rounds of the six nations for you guys? It's been, light and shade right and be involved in two really really tight ones and right side of one wrong side of the other how 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 do you look at it yeah um no like you say i think um we had 50 50 minutes against wales that were pretty much perfect going 27 nil up in a test match is not something that happens very often um and i think um I think the way that we we we've uh, we've played has been slightly different. I think feel like um, we've kicked a little bit more than than we used to do. Um, we used to just pl- play a lot and play a lot and play a lot, and I think sometimes that puts us under pressure. So, I guess maybe something that Gregor for, since the World Cups brought in is just getting that control, um, you know, around the pitch, but also playing playing our game. Like we 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 have some brilliant athletes, you know, Duans, Carl Staines, Carl Rose, like the works, you know, Harry Patson played brilliant at the weekend, and all of these people that have come on, you know, they're brilliant athletes. We have to get them more. We have to let them do their thing. Um, 
so like it's just striking the balance of when we play and when we're sort of controlling the game um, and I think uh, at times we got it right and, and at times we've we've got it wrong but like you know in every test match there's going to be moments where the opposition are on top of you um, and you have to sort of weather that storm before you can go again and um, you know in the France game I actually thought we responded really well from that Wales game we spoke a lot about just when we lost control of the match how we regain as a team how we sort of fix the problems on the pitch and um, going into and obviously one of the biggest things without with this blaringly obvious was the fact we have I think it was 16 penalties on, on the spin in a test match which you know we were lucky to actually get a win there with that sort of record so because not many teams women <laughs> conceding that many penalties um, so yeah obviously and I, th- I don't think we gave away many at all against France so you know, from that side of things, I think we improved a lot. And obviously for most parts of the, the game against France, we controlled it really well. Um, and, we, you know, we we kicked to, to to get the ball back. We kicked to get better ball, to create attacking opportunities. And um, obviously the try that I scored myself came off the back of that and coming alive off turnover and things. And, you know, that's what we do best. Um, so, yeah, I think that's probably what I'd say. Obviously it's difficult to, to just lose it narrowly at the end, but... That's four. We're gonna we're gonna come back to to your tries le- a little bit later on, but if you, if I can just bring you into that moment, um, your view of it. I was watching back footage before we, before we before we started chatting, and you are very very close to it as you'd expect from a scrum half. What, what was your view of it at the time, and then also I guess since you just said there that sport. So it sounds like you've managed to park it and move on. Is there any sense in holding on to the sort of injustice of it or do you just have to just have to move on to the next week look you know it's obviously very very difficult um to sort of just you know you can blase just say yeah look we let it go and obviously you know you want to win and you want to go two and oh in the six nations and win your home games um you know i was very close to to the to the ruck and when i saw him pick and get over the line and initially, I, you know, you saw the the foot underneath it, and you're like, oh. and then and then it moved, and you saw it hit the floor, and you're like, oh, okay. And then I saw, you know, like when Sam when, when Sam got up, and he was like, it's a try. Most of the time, players when we come in, you know, you come together, and you're like, was it a try? Or you're like, are we or are we? You know, the player, most players know it within themselves. They might be like, you know, to the fans, they might celebrate or whatever, but then they'll go to it. It's not a try quickly. <laughs> we can get this gun. Um, but, you know, he's, he was pretty adamant that he, that he scored it. And but I guess, you know, after that, once that decision's made and obviously the form it took to, to make the decision and stuff, and, you know, you hear on the, you hear on the, audio after the match you know it go back and forward and they say they see the ball on the floor then they say they don't see the ball on the floor and there's not conclusive evidence the ball's on the floor but hey look you know once once the referee makes his decision we have to we have to live with that um you know as fans you can you can be upset and angry and change your opinions but as players it's done it's finished it's parked and um i think you know if anything it makes you actually, you know, look at the situation of how we could have controlled it better to be better next time when we go for, you know, picking and going. Actually, and I know I've seen stills of, you know, they look up on the whole, <laughs> the whole field, and you're like, you know, you could have just passed it one more time, and yeah, of course. Now in hindsight, it's 2020, but um, I think again, you know, that's maybe something that we can work on in terms of 
of actually scanning that space or whatever and but if it's a try you don't talk about that so that's just sport sometimes but um obviously we have to make sure just especially at test level every time you get into the 22 every time you're you're close to trial and you have to come away with points and in the first half off a scrum as well um you know we backed ourselves to go for the scrum and to, to play off it and try and score with an extra number in the backs and you know we didn't come away with points there so um you know, there's little things within the game that, you know, as as halfbacks and as, as as a team, we have to probably con- control better and to make sure we come away with, with points. But I hope, I hope you don't mind me saying this. You, you play as though you have this chip on your shoulder. You are, the, the competitive edge just exudes from you. I spoke to Gus War about this before last year and he said that he really, it was something he really prided himself on effectively. He, he said, look, I'm, I'm, I'm annoying. I lean into that. Um, do you... Is that something you you pride yourself on too? That sheer competitive edge. Yeah, I think um, I think for me it's more of a um, like a balance. I I want to be well. I compete in every in every play in every moment, and, and I want to win. And I want to do everything I can uh, to make sure my team wins, whatever that whatever situation that is. You know, I'll I'll give everything to to try and get a better outcome for my team. Uh, which is the most important thing and you know in terms of you know being a I think scrum half sometimes you are a bit bit chirpy whether that's you know with your own team trying to get them fired up and getting them going and giving them clarity and stuff or it's you know you get caught up in a moment and you're you know you're you're getting aggressive with the other team I don't think necessarily uh for me it's like uh you know I'm not I'm not somebody with like a you know that exudes you know, I'm confidence or whatever. I just sort of try and do my job, and I know that if I play with speed and I play with with passion and aggression, and and I work hard off the ball whenever I can, then 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 I'll do my job well. So, so for me, like I have to do that. Like I'm getting to play, you know, in, in an international match. Why would I not, you know, work hard off the ball? Why would you not try and win every moment? Like that's that's my job. That's what I'm here to do. That's how you keep getting picked. So. Um, yeah, I guess that competitive edge is something that you know I've always had, and um, the boys laugh at me sometimes in training when I <laughs> get carried away in a couple of moments, and um, you know. But hey, it's it's all it's all good, and it's just everyone knows it's just because you want to win, so it's it's what you need. What what is the what is the mindset like for you personally with England, given it's a side that you've represented even even as far as senior level, you've captained them at under twenty level. Does it do, do you have to detach yourself from it? Do you lean into that? How, how does that work for you? How do you approach those fixtures? Because this will be your, your third, obviously. Uh, not, look, not, I'll be honest, not really. Like The emotion has to be there for every, for every test match. If you, know, if you walk out there and you, know, you look up at the, the, the crown and the big lights and you're like, oh God, what am I doing here? You, you know, you're lost at sea as such. So, you know, for me, I guess... You know, playing against England, they're a very good team with brilliant individuals, and you know I've played against the, a lot of their players and with a lot of their players for you know for a, for a long time. So you know you know how good they can be. Um, for me, it's just about doing my own prep, being being ready f- for myself. Um, and I think one thing that has actually really helped me over the last 
sort of couple of years for, for these matches is with Scotland there's a guy called uh, Aaron Walsh who's a, like a psychologist and stuff um, and I work with somebody at London Irish as well um, and you know these these guys have helped me helped me a lot to, to to get to where I am to be to be able to find the balance between sort of you know you know they call it the red and the blue and all that stuff and whatever or and just be you know having that right balance to be really calm and controlled in these moments to be on the edge of aggression but also being being clear because you know in my job I need to think clearly and to 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 you know to play at speed you have to be clear in your mind and clear with the game plan so um you know that's 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 really helped me and you know they've helped me have a couple of things that you know in matches if I make mistakes or or um you know, things aren't going right. I can I can sort of anchor upon and 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 improve my game. So I think when I, when I'm in those big matches, I just I know that if I've done my prep right, I've I've done my you know all the little things going into the game. Then I know I can just go out there, go out there and play. And it's even more important, you know, the bigger the match comes. Um, I just had one last one, Ben. And I generally, I hope, I hope you don't mind me saying it. At Test level over the last two years, you've settled into a really clear really important role with Scotland uh, what's come across over the last 20 minutes or so while we've been chatting is just how much you're relishing it and enjoying it and really not taking it for granted at all you're you're, you're a student of the game who's, who's loving where you are at the minute but how, how do you feel now two years on as a test player maybe how have you developed and how how much are you in how much are you enjoying it oh, I love absolutely you know every minute of it I think you you can't take it for granted at all like um you know every time you know you walk up to Murrayfield or whatever you're like wow this genuinely could be you know the last time or whatever and um yeah it's 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 uh special to get to play in these matches and for me um everything you do is to is to get there so you have to you have to enjoy it you have to you know try and play with a smile and love it <laughs> it's not easy because you get caught up in it and you have that you know in a want and desire to win and to play well and you know um and of course there's there's you know a lot of pressure riding on these matches and people you know are also coming after your spot so but for me i think um the the biggest thing that i found in you know my changes i just I've, I've found the sort of inner confidence within myself that I know that if I do certain things right within the week, if I prep well and do all of the, you know, the stuff within the week, I can go and enjoy the match. And, and, and I think I'm clear with, you know, Greg is brilliant and, and Finn as well. Playing with Finn is, is fantastic because, you know, he, he, he takes the pressure away from some of these matches, you know, you, the players around you that we have within the, the team at Scotland is, 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 is amazing. You know, you, you feel relaxed, in in the environment to be yourself you feel relaxed on the pitch that if you want to try something you can try something and and if it doesn't work you know somebody will graft their ass off to to cover for you so and i think um you know that sort of that, that environment's fantastic to be in as a player because you feel you feel comfortable and you feel like you can be your best and and that's probably brought the you know the best out of me in these games and that's why you know i said sometimes you don't you know you don't feel the pressure because you you know that the people around you will, will help you and look after you. And if it's not going well for you in for five minutes, you know, they'll pick up the slack. And if it's not going well for them, you know, you'll do the same. And um, That's just a great environment to be in. And yeah, I love every minute of it. Ben, thanks so much for your time and, and good luck this weekend and for the rest of, for the rest of Six Nations too. No worries. Thank you. Thank you. 
Okay, the rest of the weekend's games. Over in Dublin, we've got Ireland taking on Wales. Let's start with that. That thing was fun. Um, Ireland looking fairly imperious over the first couple of weeks. Very impressive, scoring lots of points. Everything seems to have have pushed on a bit from the Rugby World Cup. And, and Johnny Sexton isn't being missed as much as we thought he was. We, we noted last week how a few kind of key players weren't involved against Italy. I think we said Peter Amani and and Bandiaki, and the sense is that they'll be back, Charles, I think you said last time. Yeah, I think that was the that was the that certainly the vibe that we got from, from Andy Farrell. But, but then Hugo Keenan is out. That They're looking at starting Kieran Frawley at 15. Frawley, super versatile player, super sure, big favourite of Andy Farrell. And Crowley has looked awesome. I've, I've seen some sort yeah. of suggestions in, from Irish media that are we, are we over blowing this too much is this guy is this guy really as good as we're saying that we're wearing of overhyping him i think he's looked fantastic if you take out that i think even if you think about the mistakes he made early on in marseille the how he came back from that and then just ran the game really nicely um really nicely really and and showed how ruthless ireland can be against italy i know he missed a few kicks off the tee and there was that flat period in the in the second half but he's looked brilliant and actually that's kind of a testament to not only just how good a promising a talent he is, but also the system around him and how, how smooth and how well-functioning that looks. Just reading on Keenan, he's not out officially as, as of Paul Connell a few days ago. They were basically, okay. they were just more, he's a concern, but he's not out. And actually Paul O'Connell said it was good because it's given them more chance to have a look at other people at fullback just while he hasn't been able to, to train just to improve their, improve their depth. From a Welsh perspective can you can you see anything from Twickenham which makes you suggest that Wales will have enough to go there and potentially threaten Ireland Charlie maybe I can't no we spoke about it we spoke about it last week didn't we I thought that I thought it was really resilient performance at Twickenham but if you think about who they're playing England just didn't maybe have the tools and the cohesion to put them away um, early on um, and then that changes the kind of the outlook on the game and they just and, and even and even against the kind of stuttering England it wasn't an air of inevitability about England's comeback, but England sort of gradually got hold of the game, didn't they? There in that second half, and I just, I think it, Ireland just have um, aren't going to be in too much danger of being drawn into anything remotely um, resembling that sort of sort of dogfight. Um, so no, I think, and and yeah, I can see it being, I can see it being a tricky tricky afternoon, but. Wales love that fixture, don't they? And they'll love being super, super underdogs. I was going to say, is, would it be? It would certainly be one of Warren Gatland's greatest ever wins with Wales. Would it be the best in, in, in terms of a solo one match standout? I think it's in the conversation just because looking at when Wales last won in in Dublin outside in the Six Nations, not not including. Um, a World Cup warm-up in 2015. They haven't actually won in Dublin since 2012, which I think emphasises how how long it's been since they've gone there in the championship and and managed to deliver on that. Front. Was that was that a Reese Priestland special? I seem to remember. <laughs> I seem to remember him you're, ab- absolutely nailing. You're testing. Nailing Ireland. You're testing my memory. But if I quickly check, because it was the opening weekend of that Six Nations, you had a Johnny, Jonathan Davies brace and a late George North try to yeah. uh, to win it. Was Priestland at ten? I can't remember. He was indeed. Yes, his memory. I should have said that he wasn't just to yeah, see you, you, kind of, just to see you crumble in your chair out. and <laughs> stormed be, out the studio. Be outraged at how, at how things had gone. I'm, I'm really. Int- I think 
might it be this this sounds like i'm trying to do ireland down a bit and, and i promise i'm not might, might it actually be good for the for the championship for wales to give ireland a bit of a wobble like they've done to Scotland in Cardiff with that comeback and, and certainly like they did at Twickenham with the way that how, how tight that game was at. actually do we kind of need as much as I love watching Ireland um, kind of on this like mini procession to the title and Charlie I know you do as well are you kind of excited to see would, it, would a Welsh bit of pressure just liven things up a little bit I'm just really wary of sounding righteous here and just saying for the good of this tournament we need we need Ireland to to to, lo- to lose or to to struggle um it would be great sure it'd be great because we've then last week though we didn't have there was sort of fairly i think it's fair to say reasonably flat round two wasn't it and um it's looking like murrayfield will be fairly close with the other two potential to be sort of blowouts again um what i would say though also is that all of this all of these discussions and discussions of a potential procession to the title is sort of a fair reflection of how good Ireland are and how well they've come on, how much depth they've got, how in tune they are with the game plan that they've um, implemented, how well, just how well Andy Farrell has um, overseen that setup. Um, so another kind of dominant victory for them, which is what we're expecting, would only hammer that home. Yeah, a shameless plug here. Uh, I went to see Sir Gareth Edwards last week who told me a great story about how he played with David Jenkins' grandfather as, as when Gareth Edwards was at schoolboy level yeah. and actually David Jenkins' family live in the next village to where Gareth Edwards is and they're both the two youngest captains in Wales history. Gareth Edwards at 20, David Jenkins at 21. So shameless plug, that's on the website. Charles, anything to add for this game? No, not really. I think that, as I said, I think that it would be one of Warren Gatland's and Wales' greatest ever victories if they went there and won and, I, and it does need... But the tournament does need a shake-up. It has become a bit stale. Um, I wouldn't quite go as far as to say boring, but um, I think that it has a bit stale. It's a bit of a, it seems like a bit of a foregone conclusion at the minute, and you do sort of hope, not for, not even for the good of the tournament, just for entertainment's sake, that there's just a bit of a twist in the tail. It doesn't have, have to necessarily be be Island, but you know, just an upset somewhere now, and that you know all the results aren't just a complete foregone conclusion. Might be nice. Um, Ireland are head and shoulders above the other five by the look of things of what we've seen thus far so they would be deserved grand slammers and and, and championship winners but could we just have a a bit of a twist I mean I mean getting Gary Ringrose back as well (laughs) just when you thought you know things couldn't get much much better for them and Henshaw's been awesome Henshaw's been brilliant he has been really brilliant so lots of strength in depth the other game is going to be France against Italy on Sunday in Lille Charles, you're going to be there. I will be. I don't know what result I want more. I don't know if I want an Italian victory or France commanding um, win. I'm sort of torn. Because of Natalie the Imbruglia. because of all that. Oh, that's a good recovery. Yeah, well done. Because of the chaos at the end of Murrayfield the other week, I don't think we. I got a chance to talk enough about how just um, kind of catty Fabien Gauthier was, or sort of playful with the French press and with and with the media, like he spoke about the. The Timo thing, and he sarcastically being like, "Oh, yeah, it's great to like drag it out over four minutes and to build up all the tension." And then also, when he was asked in French about um, the, the kind of like vibe around the team and the narrative about the team underperforming, he was like, "Yeah, like keep writing it; it's great. Like we love it." The chippiness, I don't mind it when it comes from a sort of position of real strength. And I know, but Andy Farrell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That'd okay. be that'd be sort of more valid chippiness, you'd say. And okay. I'm not saying you know France are. 
France is still, you know, still one from two, but they they have just looked so unconvincing. I think that maybe that looks like uh, maybe maybe it's more of a front. Yeah, I mean, I know I've also got a bit of a tight head issue, and Galtier and his unconventional um, wisdom, as he has done, has called up um, a tight head from the second division who plays for Argent. He plays in, in the Pro de Not called up Georges Henri Colombe, who is at La Rochelle, that behemoth who, at La Rochelle, who he's called up before, um, formerly of Racing. Um, so he's not been called up because Thomas Laclayat is injured and he's their third choice. So there's a, if, if, if either Antonio or Aldegheri are not fit for Sunday, at the minute they both are, but if they're not fit, then there could be a, a second division French tight head. That's good, great like Mark Livremont, Jacques Brunel, yeah, yeah, yeah. shambles Definitely. vibes, doesn't yeah, it, yeah, about yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. quite, um, yeah. quite exciting. Boaxis is going to be on the bench at tight head. To wrap up, I'm, I'm going to just choice. quickly go around to the three of you, predict the three games, who wins? Charles, start with you. Just bang, bang, bang. Three words. Ireland, England, Ooh. Italy. Wow, I'm I'm checking in with the bookmakers on that. Um, Charlie, Ireland by twenty-two. Ooh. Scotland Ooh. by two. France by twelve. Scotland by two is 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 lovely. Yeah, Ireland, it's Ireland, Scotland, France margins. Ireland, Scotland, France. I, well, margins I went Ireland and God. No, I, I, I'm actually going to revert. I'm going to go France on the Sunday. No, you can't. Cop yeah, out I'm sorry. I am. Sense. I am copping out. I'm, I'm sticking with England. I think England could go there and and uh, and, and do the business. But I think I think this this is a golden opportunity for Italy. But I, they haven't been good enough in the first in the first two weekends. I think I think that was my heart over my head saying that Italy might win. But so I th- I'm thinking I'm going to go with France. Just desperate for a memorable day in Lille. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> could, could you give me something to, to remember Lille, please? Let's do some questions. Okay, time for some of your questions. Thank you ever so much for sending them in, as always. Um, quickly wanted to flag, actually, England, Davy Portugal on Sunday, which should be quite... Now, listen, it, it should be interesting from an England perspective. From a Portugal perspective, I feel like we need to warn everybody, you're not getting your, your fun Portugal from the World Cup because of release issues. They'll still be fun, but not World Cup fun. Not not maybe as fun. Yeah. They'll play say. the same way, just not as well. The intent... Well, I mean... <laughs> wow. Wouldn't even want to make that I'm, promise. I'm glad you're not in charge of the marketing <laughs> for Sunday. From an England Day perspective... Um, anybody who, who kind of leaps out who you'd like to see do well I find it very odd that Tom Pearson's involved in, in England A games because I'd like to see more of him with the senior side but this is a good shop window it is there's some players like him who are he's only got one cap and that was in one of the worst war, well first World Cup warm up game which was talk about games you've forgotten about fairly grim and we were there yeah well, exactly yeah so you would um he, that, you're right. That's it's a really big shop, shop window for him. I spoke. I was on the zooms with um, Sam Vesti and, and Conor O'Shea last week, and what there's just a lot of carrying power, a lot of pace. Um, Sam Vesti's promised to keep it very simple as far as the game plan that um, he wants to implement, and that's going to be a lot of fun. And and a few intriguing props in there. Josh Safa Scott. Tight head. He's huge, by the way. Big lad. Saw him at Gloucester on Saturday. He's absolutely massive. They're, they're sort of, they're sort of, they've sort of plugged this as a team where there's been a lot. There are a lot of England age grade players that they're, they're giving a kind of a vehicle into senior stuff. But he hasn't obviously he's born in New Zealand, hasn't played for England age grades, and it's quite obvious that they fancy fast tracking a big, big lad at tight head. So that's going to be interesting. Um, Ollie Slighthome for me. 
Yeah, good shout. Ollie Slighthome on the wing. Oh, notably, I think. Oliver as he's listed. O- Oli- is he in this as an Oliver? The, which, Apologies. Which, which threw me as Apologies well. Apologies to no, the Slighthome family. Um, Oliver Slighthome. Uh, I think that he could be a bit like you with Pearson. Cozy, I think that he could be doing a job for the senior team with England on the wing. I think there is going to be places up for grabs there. And I think everything that I've seen from him this season with Northampton, but not just this season. I know he's been injured. Uh, he was injured last season for quite a, a large stretch, but before that, he always looked like t- somebody who was to the man of born at premiership level and really stood out, really well-rounded game, but also lightning quick. And I'd like to see him go really well and really push Freeman and Daly in, in the senior squad. Also, Ollie Hartley, who's probably not quite at the same um, career progression, sort of career um the same point in his career as as, as Ollie Slighthome, but another Ollie, Ollie Hartley, who's been looked really good for Saracens at twelve um, when he's played when Nick Tompkins hasn't been available or when they've rotated, he's looked really really good for Saracens at twelve and an- another chip to throw into the uh, England midfield conversation. Oh, that's good because I was worried we were running out of uh, of options. Uh, Ross Tuima, I just wanted to mention as well, who had a lovely yes. little break and offload. Oh on. yeah. On, uh, he on is Saturday, fun. He's, he's he's fun. Yeah. He's quite rare. Well, he's mm. a he's a big, tight head lock. Who's he, I think um, he went through England age groups as an eight and has been has been moved to tight head lock. Put on a bit of Terry. Looks fun. Yeah, as you say, real fun. Sorry, a bit of a bit of Terry, Terry Tate. Fantastic. Very good. Um, into the questions. Uh, Random hero asks: Does the Six Nations need? Two rest weeks. Lots of casual fans I know moan about losing interest in dragging it out for such a long period of time. And Charlie, the answer is, well, by twenty twenty six, that there are they are losing rest week. But I think it makes sense for a few reasons. It's going to be tough on those players. It's going to be more of a tre- uh, an arduous kind of treadmill that tournament. However, there's a few things here. One, I think that is a valid point as far as people losing interest, losing those. Um, the strands of narrative that go on throughout a tournament and how a tournament builds um, especially when you get a bit of a flat round as we did as we're talking about round two the other thing is um, certainly when the premiership is concerned with 10 games and you're losing that a lot of teams having to kind of organise these friendlies to get a bit of revenue in the interesting thing will be where whether the Six Nations moves how, how the premiership and, and other domestic competitions move around the the Six Nations. Yeah, I was just going to ask, do we know whether they're chopping a weekend off the end of the Six Nations or is it starting a, a weekend well, later? Moving the whole thing, moving the whole Six Nations maybe later and then mm. fitting in so it's sort of like an NFL style kind of time, time frame for an English domestic season maybe, we'll see. Well, I was going to ask which uh, rest week are you chopping? So are you going to play three no. games and then have a rest or are you going to play two and then yeah. do three on the trot? I mean, I don't know what they are going to do but I would do that. I would play three. Play three. In the, yeah, that makes more sense. Because then you've, you've got a real good scope of how the final two games are sort of shaping up as the denouement of the tournament and you know what's going to you sort of you know what your storylines are whereas two games in to then have a break I mean I know they do that now but then there's the other break as well two games in to have a break and then play three there's not that there's not as much of a hook yeah yeah um, next question from Taps which always makes me think Ben Tapawai for some reason um, that is his nickname isn't it yeah do, do you think England look fitter this year, I mean, you, you two have seen more England in the flesh than I have, so I'll, I'll defer to one of you. I think the big problem last year was that they, and sort of asking Mark McCall whether his players were fit was quite interesting. He was going, look, they are fit. They're just not in tune with the game plan that England are playing, so they don't look fit. And the Scotland game last year was a great example because England did played some nice stuff, but then 
sort of last quarter just looked really leggy um, because they weren't used to that intensity sort of collectively. Um, that was Aled Walter's big kind of brief when he came in as head of conditioning. And I think they have looked, you know, they've, they've looked more assured in those second halves, haven't they? Because maybe because there's that um, just additional cohesion collectively with the game plan they're playing and what, what that um, what that demands. They I mean, they definitely do look fitter, I would say. Are they fit enough? Who knows? Well, I mean, we'll, we'll probably find out over the next three weeks. But certainly the signs are good. They had a really strong second half against Italy and a, and a strong second half against Wales. And, you know, that, the, the proof's in the pudding. And well, they've not, not been eating very much pudding, clearly, if they're, if they're fitter. But uh, the proof is in the pudding. And I would say yes. As, as a kickoff, yes, they do look fit, they do look fitter. And, and they should. They should look fitter because they've brought in the best... What, you know, who's widely regarded as one of the best SNC coaches in world rugby, um, and he had he had a big run up with them last year ahead of the World Cup. They've had the World Cup, and so they they should look fitter, and I think they do. Yeah, I was thinking Walters and Felix Jones. You're basically on the Springbok fitness plan, and and yeah, I think they mm. look I think they look sharper. Mm. Um, question from Elliot, which is I like this question a lot. If all three of you were a player, which team in the Six Nations would you want to play for? I mean, Charles, this is so smackingly obvious that I'm going to come to you first. Yeah, I'm going to go France, I'm yeah. afraid. Okay. And why could that be? Uh, I just think my talents on the rugby field would suit them quite well. <laughs> They're lacking a tight head, aren't they? Do you reckon, could you do a job? Too tall. Too Although Willy Atolio is very tall, but he's also um, built like a brick outhouse. So... Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, if they carry on having some injuries, then I'll be checking my passport and my lineage and, 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 at the tight end. Yeah, rightly so, Charlie. You've already checked your passport. <laughs> yeah, I have already done that. Yeah, um, I've got two answers here: Wales for ancestry reasons, uh, but less kind of tangibly. Um, France just cool, cool kits, <laughs> that sort of thing. That was what I was thinking. I hadn't thought about basing my answer on the. Kid. And Anthem as well. Yes. Yeah. Galtier's yeah. head coach, though. Anthem's good. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Bantering when you've been playing badly. Galtier's head coach. I yeah, I might have to say Ireland just a bit like you for ancestry reasons, and also it seems quite fun at the moment. Also, it seems like the most fun style of play. They're having a great time. Um, question from Henry, who says, um, just on the. Uh, Newcastle Falcons and Saudi Arabia links after a photo popped up on social media on Sunday of various Newcastle dignitaries in Saudi Arabia with a framed shirt. I mean, could be a, a remarkable coincidence, but as I now refer to our um, rugby Saudi Arabia correspondent, Charles Richardson. Riyadh reporter. Tell us more. Um, well, these these pictures surfaced. Uh, they were They were sort of... Um, thrust into the public eye last night by the Rugby and Sideline Twitter account of um, Newcastle uh, o- owner um, Seymour Curdy out in Saudi Arabia with what looked like some S- Saudi dignitaries. It was it was difficult to sort of fully glean a, a, t- a total picture from just some pictures that had appeared on Instagram that were deleted by Newcastle's rugby chairman Matt Thompson. Um, but it seems as though the story that we reported um, a few weeks ago is gaining a little bit of traction. Um, and Newcastle are in the market for some Saudi investment. Now, re- with regard to your question, Henry, would uh, Fal- Falcons and Saudi Arabia Union be worse than Falcons going bust? I would say that is a minefield. Um, and 
when we did this story originally, the reaction, our story originally was that four premiership clubs were in um, early preliminary discussions about Saudi funds. And the reaction then was completely polarised to two ends of the spectrum between fans who were saying, you know, the premiership has had financial issues. It can't bite the hand that feeds. Beggars can't be choosers, all that sort of thing. And then the other end of the scale was people basically saying, if my club takes Saudi investment, then I will. I would rather they were relegated to the championship than take Saudi investment. So in terms of which is worse, I mean, I think, I think Falcons going bust would be worse on the face of it, of those two options, of those two. That feels disastrous for the, for the quite. national game. And, and rugby in the north of England, you know, they're the, they're the most northern club. They're the only real sort of northern club because... I know Sale are there, but the Manchester is nowhere near as far north as Newcastle, and you, you know Newcastle is the local club to Yorkshire, which is a real rugby hotbed um, in, in terms of Premiership. The local Premiership club to Yorkshire, which is a real rugby hotbed, um, and I think it would be you know a real dark day were, were Newcastle to go bust. I think. Yeah, agreed. Um, and our final question from Carrick, um, just about the under eighteen finals day on Sunday. Just asking if anybody kind of leapt out charlie so not yet because i haven't haven't watched all of it back um but you can um it's, it was streamed on youtube so you can dive back in it looks phenomenal uh, bath won the final I was gonna say uh, congratulations 34 33 um in the last minute certainly worth catching up on some highlights one the tiny bit i did see was i saw exeter go from their own shadow of their own post with a with a kick pass across um to a far touch line all the way up that left touch line, came back to the right, and I think they won a penalty and then went to the corner and, and moored it over for a try um, against Sale. But yeah, so if that was anything to go by, the whole day was brilliant and by all means catch up on that because there's nothing sort of more rewarding as a as a club supporter than following through uh, prospects the whole way from when they're just emerging uh, via the academy through to the first team. So yeah, make sure to tune into that. Absolutely. Right, that's it for this week. Thank you both. Where are you going to be this weekend? Charles, I think, where are you going to be? Remind us. Lille. Lille, Lille, Lille for the big one. France, Excellent. Italy. Excellent. Charlie? Knocking around Peniel Park again and then up to up to Edinburgh Friday morning. Might catch the under-20s on the Friday night um, and then the main event. Quick quiz question. Do either of you two know the equivalent of the Calcutta Cup that, that France and Italy oh, is it play the, for? Um, is it the Garibaldi? It is, yeah. Is yes. it the Giuseppe Garibaldi trophy? Or have I, I, am I made that up? But it is Garibaldi, definitely. I know Garibaldi's involved. I can't remember. Yeah, I assume, I assume it's Giuseppe. Um, I'll be in Dublin from Friday until... For the Centenary Quiche. Is that Ireland, Scotland? That's Ireland, Scotland. Yeah. What's Ireland, Wales? Centenary quiche is what I'll be eating in Lille on Sunday. <laughs> That's terrible. Um, yeah, looking forward to Ireland, Wales. Um, please keep up with all of our coverage. There's absolutely loads on the website. Columns from Brian Moore, Will Groomwood and the rest. And thank you to Ben White as well for his time for this week's episode, as well as to Charlie and Charles once more. Thank you for downloading the podcast. As I said, loads of coverage building up to the weekend. Please keep following us for all the stories, all the team news and all the match previews. And we'll be back to review it all next week. For now, goodbye.